So excited. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Victoria with Growing Kind Minds, and this is the first episode of That Moment, which this woman who we're going to be speaking to actually helped me name. I had another name for it, but it really was fitting. That Moment, um, Heart to Heart Talk with Victoria. And this show is all about talking to amazing, inspiring people in the world who are doing incredible things and also about that moment that changed it all for them. That moment that was shocking, exciting, traumatic, um, unexpected. That moment that just brings a stark reality to whatever existence you have and growth through struggle. I'm super interested in hearing about what is it that had people grow through their struggle in addition to connecting to themselves and how important that was. So without further ado, Episode number one, and I'm speaking with Heidi Broom, who is an incredible human being. Hi, Heidi. Hi, Victoria. Hi. So, so great to have you. Just a little bit of a tidbit about Heidi. She is a autism mom coach. She is the founder of Moms Spectrum Oasis and the author of a book that just launched called You Just Have to Love Me, Mothering Instructions from My Autistic Child. And Heidi, before we even go into it, because you're so much more, you're that and so much more, um, I'm just so incredibly humbled to have you here today because my own research into the post-traumatic growth experience of parents of young adult children with autism really brought us together because I was speaking to our, you know, um, mutual friend, Elaine Williams, and she introduced us and everything that you are is encapsulated in what I've been up to for the last decade, really. Um, so I'm just so happy to have you here. Tell us where are you coming from and who are you in the world? Oh my goodness. Um... Where am I coming from? Well, I'm happy to tell you that I'm coming from purpose now. And I think it was Shakespeare who talked about the joy of discussing with friends obstacles that we've overcome. And that is where I, I come from now is that place of looking back, it's still being on a journey, but now having the perspective of, of what's come before and what will come and appreciation for the process and the, the wanting to share the process with others with the hope of, of helping them on their own journey. So that, that's where I come from right now. Beautiful, beautiful. And who are you in the world? I know I mentioned your book. I know I mentioned uh, what you are the founder of. What is it that you do? I work with mostly moms of uh, kids who have autism, uh, the kids of any age, because I, I guide them. I, I am their guide on a very tough journey. And I wanted to be the resource I had not had when Ethan was diagnosed. I had no one to talk to, no one to share feelings with, no one to ask questions. Uh, it was very piecemeal, you know, people would answer from their own perspective and they meant well, but no one to pull it together from the experience, no one to reassure me that there was a process with a beginning, a middle and an end, and how much power I had, even within circumstances I could not control, where could I actually 
use my authority as Ethan's mom to move forward. So that is who I am now in the world is to be that guide and that resource and that light on a dark path. That, that is where I am right now. And that is what was the origin of the choice to found Mom Spectrum Oasis. Mm-hmm. You'd be the container for all the services, that whole initiative to help moms. And to write my book, You Just Have to Love Me, to tell my story, to share, to tell it from the point of wanting to share it, not because it's other people's story also, but because like any story, we see our own in it. Yeah. And apply it to our own lives. And and get an inspiration from that. Amazing. How old is Ethan, Heidi? We've talked so much and I am still not clear. How old is he? He, this past Sunday, he turned 15. Oh my goodness. Well, happy birthday to Ethan and congratulations to you. And my family, we give flowers to my mother when it's our birthday. Um, I like that idea. (laughs) It's a cultural thing. It's a Russian cultural thing. Um, That's amazing, Heidi. And, you know, one of the things that I think really had me gravitate towards you is that um, you had voiced some of the very things that a lot of the participants in my own research voiced. You know, going back to, I think I shared a story with you where when I was much younger, I was an intern and I saw this family, these families of, of, you know, parents with kiddos with autism, some of them having multiple kids with autism. And at the time, I, I know, and at the time I was like, wait a minute, you know, everything I've learned about autism, and this was years ago, right, was like, it's deficiency based, it's, you know, you don't, it's dark, with no way out. And so when I saw these parents who had these incredible stories of growth and thriving, I was like, where's the Kool-Aid? Like, who, like, where's the Kool-Aid that they're drinking? Years later, I'm doing this research on thriving and growth for parents. And you are the epitome, you are the example of that. And how incredible to have you there for others that are going through that. Um, and you know, you know, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Yes. Yes. Well, what you just described, Victoria, is very much, um, and I talk about this in the book, the tragedy narrative mm-hmm. of autism that we don't even realize from day one, how we've been programmed by society, by our environment, by the people around us, by the messages in the media, when you hear the word autism, there's this visceral response of, oh, you know, and the example I give people because I think it's it's more clear cut and obvious is if I say the word cancer, you know, it, you, you feel the air leave the room, you know, you feel the energy go down, you feel, you know, your body clenches at this word and, and mm-hmm. it's a dark, heavy feeling that, zaps you of, of any joy and, and that there is a comparable narrative around autism, that this is horrible and terrible and linked to that, the myth of the good mother mm-hmm. of in the face of a tragedy, it's my job to fix this thing, fix the autism, fix my kid, fix the situation. And it becomes this whole dynamic, this very unhealthy, damaging, disruptive dynamic that is, is 
you know, framing the whole mm-hmm. autism journey at that point. Heidi, so can we, I interject and just ask this, this idea of, I have to fix this. And by the way, super typical. I mean, I hear it across the board, yes. but when we think I have to fix it as if it's broken, is that where you are now in your thinking around autism and your son? Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Well, that is absolutely the key, is, is the shift out of, I have to fix, mm-hmm. which is actually an impossible moving target thing, setting you up for misery and, and disappointment. So um, I no longer have that uh, belief that that's my job. Um, that's not to say I don't want to help and guide and help, you know, teach and fulfill, you know, his potential. That's not the same thing. So I no longer have an attitude of of fixing. And I'd love to share with you that moment because yes, I was not always in that place. Uh, believe me, I spent years and thousands of dollars and heartache and tears, <laughs> you know, fixing and, and trying to fix and, and very dedicated to fixing. What did that look like before you even go on? Because people right. who are watching, I mean, yes. I know they're going through that or they have gone through that. And what does that look like to, to problem, to try to fix? Well, oh, I know they, I, I know my process was absolutely, you know, in common with, with many autism moms that um, it was le- trying to leave no, not trying, like determined to not leave no, leave no stone unturned. Yeah. Like that was it. And to pursue every possible um, solution and therapy and educational approach. And we went to every conference and symposium and read every book and listen to every conference and talk to every doctor and every therapist and anyone who said, do X, we did. And we ran and we wasted money. And I have a a million stories around that. Um, And then actually I realized at some point, this was before the full transformative experience that I'll share with you. But there was an episode that happened with Ethan in school that really started to show me, wait a second, is this really, like I'm running on this treadmill, is this really the way to go? And the conversation took place at Ethan's school and um, they offered, it was a wonderful uh, pro, he had started at an ABA program, we moved him into a DIR floor time model school and they offered- so before you even go on, yes. people out there who are wondering what is ABA, what is DIR, can you can you share a little bit about that? Like of a course. yes, of course, the alphabet soup, which is the whole <laughs> right beginning of the journey. You know, so much to learn. So ABA is applied behavioral analysis, which is as many states, many schools, that is the focus, the educational approach of the school. And that is the one that most schools, at least in New Jersey and the Northeast focus on, and that is their approach. Um, that was that was recommended to us when Ethan was very young and, and, and it, it still is. And um, it was great at teaching him certain skills and we'll be grateful for that always, um, including like toileting when he was six still grateful for that. That was a very difficult thing. Um, And then, but over time it was not, it was clear that it was not 
the path that was working for Ethan anymore. It was his distress was increasing. Mm -hmm. We shifted him into a school with a different approach. Uh, DIR floor time developmental individual relationship model based on relationship. The idea that we all human beings learn through play because play is- Oh, what an idea. What an I idea. I say that sarcastically because wow, is that an incredible thing? I mean, really? Yeah. Yeah. It, that, you know, in hindsight, it's like, of course. <laughs> and yet, but because of the tragedy narrative, somehow if a kid has autism, he's learning so differently, you know, that, oh, let's forget about play right now. Play is counterproductive to yeah. work. And part of learning is ABA repetitive and, and also whole other story. So in this new school, that was the relationship model. And they focus a lot more on communication and the different ways to help. And one of the techniques they offered was um, spelling to communicate, which is typing, facilitated communication. It's typing um, with, with very light touches, a support to help the brain sync up, here's my hand, and let Ethan step out of the impulsivity, which a lot of our kids have, and be able to access his intention. Of, oh, this is what I want to say. So this technique was amazing and a breakthrough for us. And a kid who we had had tested in New York, and I was told when he was five years old that he had the mental capacity of a five-month-old baby. And I cried for a week. I mean, what, what, what news? I mean, that was really hard. And here, through this technique, he's typing these incredible thoughts. Now, I just want to stop you and just, I want to just, I just got chills. Yeah. Because think about, I mean, you went through it. I didn't go through it. I'm not a mentor, right? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a coach in many ways because of just, you know, just the expertise I have from a different realm. But think about having, you know, and so many parents are going through this right now is, and, and it came out of my own research of how people are about, you know, we get evaluations and we get diagnoses and we get these, you know, prognosis reports, right, about how things are going to be yes. and how powerful the gatekeepers of our healthcare are, you know, the doctors, the social workers, the psychologists, you know, anybody who is just in touch with the beginning stages of a child's diagnosis, how powerful it is, you know, to be in their position because they give, you know, whatever words they speak, you know, have such a profound impact on how parents in their, you know, young journey of parenthood with their child with autism, how they relate and, and have hope or not to the rest of their child's life and what it will look like. And it, it just, to me, it's just profound and oftentimes not um, always talked about or, you know, really held to that, you know, standard. What do you think about that? A hundred percent. I don't think people realize enough the power of the words they're using mm -hmm. for, for good or for not, mm -hmm. you know, to cause pain or to heal. Mm -hmm. And that is the power of language, which I talk about in the book and we'll talk about a bit more here even, the power of what we 
say and what we choose to focus on, mm-hmm. the point to, to express in a given moment, given everything that there is that we can be talking about in a given moment, what are we saying? What mm-hmm. are we choosing? How are we delivering it? So you're absolutely right. It was a very, very important point to make. And the ability, so hearing that, and so that set the stage of not presuming competence, not assuming he under, we would speak about Ethan as if he weren't in the room, not from not loving him, but we thought he doesn't understand. That, the, the information delivered was, you know, severely impacted kid and treat him accordingly. Yeah. Right. And, and so, and that was how we were interacting to my now horror. That was what was going on. And that, so here we are in a situation um, that I'm telling you about where, oh my goodness, Ethan is revealing he does understand. He understands a lot and he has a lot of thoughts and they're pretty deep and they're pretty amazing. And, and there yeah. is even the ones that aren't amazing. What flavor, you know, what does he like? And what, it, mm-hmm. what are his, his choices? So I go into work with him this given day to work on the typing and the typing is usually very boring and you're, you know, cause you're practicing. So this particular day, um, the, the teacher says, oh, you know, what are things that Ethan likes to do? Because I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that in the typing. And, and th- because the practice is like, is very simple. It's Ethan, trees have green leaves. What color are the leaves? Are they green or purple? Yeah. And Ethan would 100% of the time type the correct answer, you know, and I know now he was like bored to death because like mom, like I know they're green. So, <laughs> but so this was the practice. So the teacher said, what does he like? And so this one day, what does he do every day when he's not in school? Well, going back to what we've been talking about, the tragedy narrative, the myth of the good mother, it's my job to fix this broken kid and make this okay. So I say to her the truth, which is every minute almost, that we are not in school, mm-hmm. we are fixing, we're, we're, we're at a therapy, we're doing something to address the autism. So I start telling her this, you know, with Ethan there, or we're in the school. Well, let's see, um, we have physical therapy twice a week, occupational therapy twice a week, speech therapy twice a week, hmm. yoga for the special child twice a week, we're going into New York on weekends to do brain gym. We're meeting with uh, a neurologist. Tell everyone how long that venture took, because you weren't com- you weren't living in the city, right? Oh no, this is all travel. This is money. Yeah. This is all stuff that's not cut. Yeah, um, homeopathy. So chi- we're doing Chinese medicine once a week with color coded lasers, red and green, to calm or stimulate the nervous system. We're doing herbs. We're doing Tomatis listening therapy in upstate New York with the woman who studied under Dr. Tomatis in Paris. And we're doing methyl B12 injections. I'm looking at stem cell transplantation mm-hmm. um, in Panama. Do we want to do that? Should we look at uh, hyperbaric oxygen chambers? And I'm, I'm not even done. I remember those conversations years ago with parents. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Every moment. So yeah. as I'm telling her all this, and I remember this, 
in my head, as I'm going through my list, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm a good mother. Like, hmm. you know, I'm like telling myself, like I'm self-soothing, like, oh, I'm a good mother. See, I'm doing all this stuff and we, we're doing it. We're in every minute and every moment, because every moment that we weren't doing something was a moment I was not attacking the autism, which was unacceptable. So rest was you, not, okay. just that, yeah, mm -hmm. this was flashing in my head. So it's feeling good to me to say to her, I'm doing, then we're doing this, we're going here, I'm dragging them, da, da, da. And Ethan, as I'm going through this, he reaches over to the letter board. Mm. Well, the teacher and I start to laugh because Ethan was never in a hurry to start working. <laughs> so we're like, what's he doing? You know, he's like reaching over like that he wants to type. So we said, oh, you want to say something like as I'm doing all this and okay. So Ethan types, I'm tired. Ugh. And Victoria, I mean, the, the breath left my body. I mean, I was like, what, what? And, and I, well, well, buddy, you need this. This is to help you, oh. this is to help you. And isn't it a good thing we're doing this? And, and yet in that moment, I had to look at that yeah. and say, oh my goodness, I'm doing the exact opposite of what I want to be doing. He's exhausted. And then I'm remembering the physical. Were therapy. you exhausted too, Heidi? Oh was my you, God. Were you too? I was on, on fumes. I, yeah. I could barely function. I would, I would collapse at an exhaustion. And I would remember the physical therapist saying to me, you know, sometimes in the middle of a basketball game or an obstacle course or all this stuff you're doing in physical therapy, Ethan would lie down on the ground and close his eyes. Hmm. And of course the response in school or anywhere is oh, work avoidance, mm -hmm. an ABA throwback, you avoid <laughs> work. We should have a whole other episode on ABA oh, um, yes. and, and all my thoughts about it, but that's it for another time. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, that is a whole other thing. Um, but I realized it's not that he was avoiding work. Mm -mm. He was tired. He was tired. He was just tired. Mm -hmm. So that for me, I had a choice. That was the beginning of opening my eyes that I realized I was making it about me. Mm -hmm. All these decisions about Ethan, it was about me. Am I being a good mother? Mm -hmm. I needed to change my central question to what does he need? Mm -hmm. What is he feeling? What is it that is going on with him right now. Heidi, you are touching on, and I have to, I have to just say on something so pivotal for any parent, I think, but especially here, right? Is um, this distinction. We think and we collapse that what we think is best for our child, right? Is oftentimes what we feel, right? Is making us feel better because I need to fix. This is making me feel better. I'm being busy. I'm doing it all. Yes. And when we real and what, what happened with you, it sounds like is you're looking and you're saying, wait a minute, what's, what's there for him? What does he need? And that may look different than what would make you in that moment feel better about being productive or, you know, doing, doing, doing. Wow. That's well, an epiphany. And, and so what did you do after that? Well, I realized 
what his daily experience must be. Mm-hmm. And that, and the realization, and we talked about the power of words mm-hmm. and actions, that I was communicating to him that he was broken. Mm-hmm and mommy has to fix, and mommy's very unhappy because you're broken, and and mommy can't rest until she fixes you. And what, how does a human being receive that message from his mother? Like, what does that mean for him? And thank God, Ethan had a foundation, which I'll share with you, but still, it was painful. And it was painful for me to realize that I had caused <laughs> this pain. I had put the burden of my happiness onto him, which is a burden that no child should ever have. Each of us is responsible for our own happiness. Mm-hmm. And each of us should be able to have a bad day without ruining the other person's life. Oh, we- that was a mic drop moment. Say that again. Say that again. We should should each be able to have a bad day without ruining someone else's life. That's it. We're done. We can (laughs) like pack up shop. I love that. Yeah, Heidi, that's amazing. Well, thank you. And that, I realized I had been doing that. And it's, oh, let me, and it's not easy. I, I would be lying if I said to you, oh, I got this down pat. <laughs> I'm always, oh, he's unhappy then. Uh-huh. Why, why, what's the matter? And, and with my other son too, my older guy, Eric, mm-hmm. you know, moms tend to conflate our own happiness with the other, with our child's happiness, that you're as happy as your least happy child. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard that, you know, and, and to a degree, of course, because we're, we want our children to be happy and why aren't they? And let's, but at the end of the day, every human being, every human being, no matter what, any level of ability, anything, we each walk our own path. We're born in our brain and in our mind and in our body and we, we die. We're born alone, we die alone, each human. That is the human experience that we're each entitled to. And so including a special needs kid. So if I witness Ethan having a meltdown or a hard time Of course, I may have all kinds of reactions, and yet I do need to step back, and I'm speaking from firsthand experience because Ethan does have these meltdowns, or he did a lot. And I need to step back, and then I didn't. You know, in the beginning it was, oh my God, I don't know what to do, and I'm a terrible mother, and everyone around me is thinking I'm a terrible mother and out of control, and I'm not not disciplining him, or I'm not doing it right. And I've learned to step back, and say, wait, there is an element of this that's going on that I can't control. He can't control. He typed, I can't help it. Hmm. And so in that situation, when you know this person can't help it, this is not because he's mad at me and he's gonna act out and that his brain is doing something right now that Hmm. no one can control. Well, then I have a different set of choices to make. And You're, all I can do in that is be there. Yeah, and compassion. I mean, all I hear yeah. is 
the compassion. We, you and I, you know, when we have our conversations, compassion is something we've talked about. And the, you know, on the other side of fear is this compassion. And what, and both can't live in the same space together, you know, because when we're afraid that we have to fix something or we're not good enough as a mother, as a, you know, a caregiver, anything, right? It is very, it's like, it's like do or die, you know, it's like, I can't be compassionate. I just have to live, right? But if we are just able to, like you said, if, if parents are able to step back and really just take a deep breath and look at, you know, what's happening holistically, um, you know, that right. I love that. Well, and, and you and I have talked about this and this is actually brain science, you know, when you're in fear and it's the amygdala, taking charge, all you can do is fight, flight, freeze, appease, right? That's it. The rest of your brain that does the problem solving is shut down. Yeah, it's like bye-bye, out to lunch, won we'll the lottery, went somewhere else. Yeah, it's hijacked, right? It's hijacked. Right, right. And, and in that place, you really are not of much help. No. It's self-surviving. There is a, we have, um, a couple of people who have chimed in. Thank you so much for the people that are watching. This is incredible to have you. And I just wanna read some of the SIPTA, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it correct, SIPTA Arif, informative, great way to advise. That's amazing. We have Susan Burdick. Uh, she's, she writes, they know everything and are totally aware of everything around them. The neurological system is not capable of responding to what they see or hear, Re reconnection happens when you remove the blockage that isn't allowing the response to happen. Light touch can make this happen for everyone. It's like plugging into light to give you light. Um, beautiful. Um, Heidi is a wonderful guide for women. That's amazing. So you have a great shout out from Susan Burdick. And I, I this, is, this is such an important conversation, Heidi, because but we're really talking about, you know, you and I have, you know, are collaborating, which is incredible. And um, we're collaborating to support parents uh, on their own growth journey. And the message really is that there is more than what you hear those, you know, from a few people in the first few, you know, years or, you know, days of either obtaining the diagnosis or even oh. when you're like, what's going on here, right? And one of the things, and tell me what you think about this. One of the things I hear over and over from, from parents is I wish I had someone who went through what I went through. Just tell me that everything is gonna be okay. It's not gonna look the way you want it to look. So I'm attached to it looking a certain way, but it's gonna be okay because that would have helped me, they say, enjoy my child's moments of development way more and have my anxiety be way less. And so what do you think about that? Is that something that you also, you know, echo as a sentiment? A hundred percent. I mean, that's why I do what I do. Yeah. Is, is to be that, that companion. Yeah. You know, and I, and I, the analogy I'll use is um, I'm, I'm up river, you know, I've, I've been on this, you know, on the river, the journey, yeah. and I know what you are going to be encountering, not exactly because you're in a different time, a different point in your own journey, but overall, I know the challenges and I can be careful over there or a storm is coming or, you know, 
you know, wear your raincoat, like just um, get help. You know, there, it's really important to not go into the isolation, yeah. um, which is the beginning stages of grief, the mourning of what would have been and, mm -hmm. and the processing of all that and not getting stuck there. Mm -hmm. But honoring it, letting it let, you know, the point of all place. that, it has its place. It has, you know, I, I always would laugh about denial as my, my, my buddy, because <laughs> it let me move on. Ah. And, um, it also, you know, gave me time to heal, you know, like it was like my mind had a scab on it, you know, like, okay, we, you don't have to think about all that right now. <laughs> you just start to feel better and then you'll deal with this other stuff. But right now you just take it easy. And I think that is the, how coping mechanisms work. The challenge is not to stay in them and, and to move forward. I just want to champion you, um, you know, for people who are watching, there is something so special about thing, you know, things that you've shared with me and about you, because you see, when we see like you have been through this journey of what I would call post-traumatic growth and you're this on this other side and you are coaching people who are not there yet. They're like in the beginning. Right. And right. something that I love is you actually reminded me in one of our conversations about how important it is to be aware of even though we know, and I know this from my own work, even though we know that something is possible, it doesn't necessarily mean that the people that we're working with and serving um, to help facilitate that possibility are right there with us in that possibility. And so what, ah! that's my dog, what a gift. And she's ah! just echoing because ah! I'm right. Um, but what, <laughs> what a gift to be able to have someone like you, right? By their side, seeing the possibility for them and being with them where they're at. Thank you very much. And it was the, if you think about it, it's like speaking a being fluent and speaking a language and forgetting what it's like when you, don't even know the most basic word. Mm. And like, what do you mean you don't understand? You know, um, uh, do you remember what it was in the beginning? And I know, cause I, I have vivid memory of some of the, the trauma of, of that experience. And there are, you know, many actually, it's not just one trauma diagnosis, diagnosis shock, people talk about that. There are micro traumas all day long compounding it's compounding yes it doesn't just end it's yeah. like one yeah. after another but the the beauty of what we talk about you know between us in regards to growth is once the mindset from deficiency to growth starts to happen all of those subsequent tra little traumas and fractures and things like that yes. the experience of them shifts a little bit a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, ab absolutely true. It's really, and it's like, you know, when, when it clicks, you know, I remember learning how to type, you know, in school, I'm dating myself. They don't do this anymore, but it was a, a, s, s, d, d, and you're, you know, and I was like, you know, where is that thing? And I remember, and I remember the day 
it clicked and I could touch type and, mm -hmm. and get better and better. And I remember the clicking. And, and I think that that's what happens. You, you begin to build the muscle memory yeah. Of, yeah. of the healing thing. But to remember though, it is a process. Mm -hmm. And I remember early on, I could not hear, um, you know, it's gonna get better or you'll handle the autism better or you'll accept the autism and whatever his level of ability is. When people would speak that way to me, I would get angry. I was not, cause I was gonna fix him. Mm -hmm. I was not going to have to worry about, oh, what's going to happen when he's, you know, entering, you know, junior high or how am I going to do what, what therapies or, cause I was going to fix them. Mm -hmm. So if you, if someone, and I remember one teacher, you know, it, it, this was at the, the ABA school and um, I made, <laughs> I said, oh, what do you think Ethan's, you know, prognosis is and all that? And, cause I had scripted for her to say to me, oh, he's gonna be a typical kid, you know? And that's what I, when I asked the question, that was the answer she was supposed to give me. And she didn't give me that answer. Now, not that she was a fortune teller, I shouldn't have asked her the question, but she says, well, you know, you see that kid over there who was a few years ahead, you know, later, older. I said, yeah. She said, I, I can imagine him, you know, Ethan being like that kid who, was verbal, you know, so he could talk, which of course was a, an amazing thing, but I'm thinking, well, no, you know, he's not a typical kid. Like, yeah. why are you pointing to him? What? And so, whereas if, you know, five years later, someone had said that, and I believe that they were the fortune teller and could tell me, um, I would have been, oh, that's pretty cool. Cause he yeah. can talk. <clears throat> but at the time when I was fixing, I was so not in a place of it's going to be okay because I, you know, yeah, it will be because it's, <laughs> I'm going to make it go away. Heidi, I want, if it's okay, I don't know how Ethan's going to feel about this being on, you know, Facebook, but can you tell the story before we wrap up about the feet? Oh, the feet. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that story because, well, why don't you tell it? Okay. <laughs> I'll tell that story. And then I'm going to really wrap up with the real conversation that put everything into perspective. I love that. Thank you. Perfect. Okay. Wonderful. So the, <laughs> I, he'll forgive you because he wouldn't mind at all because uh, he has, he has his priorities in, in what's really important. So the, mm, the story you're referring to is um, I had gone, it was a year ago, cause it was for his, for his birthday, I had gone to visit him. Uh, I flew, he's at a residential school outside of Boston because the behaviors had gotten so severe, it wasn't safe for him or for us. And uh, so I gone to visit him and the case manager had arranged a lovely day for us, <clears throat> some activities. And we're in a big gym room with gym mats, you know, all over the place. And I'm on one end of the room and Ethan's on the other. And I'm doing the fall activity of tracing leaves. And Ethan was on the other side breaking sticks because that's what he wanted to do. <clears throat> and that was, that was the, you know, parallel play. We were having a good time. And so Ethan was done breaking his sticks. And so he's sitting there. What does he do when he's done with something? He 
took off his shoes and socks and started to smell his feet. So I feel myself reacting. You know, he had just, he, it was his birthday. He was 14 years old. <clears throat> That's something a two-year-old might be doing, right? And in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, he's smelling his feet. Here I fly to Boston to be with him. This is what he's doing. And oh my God, and what if anyone sees and it's so gross and da, 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 da. And I caught myself. Mm. I said, what am I doing? Who cares? And the reality is, let's face it, feet do smell interesting. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> right? <laughs> Who has not smelled their own feet? You know, usually we yeah. go in the bathroom, but and didn't do it. But it's like I say, there are people that pee in the shower and those that lie about it. Go. It's the same thing. It's, it's the, the same, same thing. thing. <laughs> we all smell our feet. I, I promise you that. So, <laughs> right? I'm like, okay, Heidi, get a grip. I'm not going to go there. And I, instead I said, you know what? I, I what, a, what a blessing that I am with my child today on his birthday, celebrating him. What an amazing kid. What a wonderful guy. The cutest face, like with the cheeks, you can just really grab and yummy kiss. And Ethan has a laugh. I am not exaggerating. When you walk with Ethan and if Ethan laughs, people turn to look who's that? What's that? So delightful. So everyone wants to hear who is that who's laughing like that so that they can share that joy. So I was like, oh my goodness, I love this child so much. I'm so happy to be here with him. And this is all going in my mind, right? You know, he's there. So after a while, you know, he finishes and he's sitting there. He gets up, he crosses this big room he sits next to me on my mat and he lies down. Is that and, him over there? Oh, yes. That's Ethan on the left and that's oh, Eric. Ah, oh, they're so handsome. You see the round, the face you just want to grab? I love it. And, love it. you know, he, lie, he, he sits next to me, he lies down, he puts his head in my lap. And Victoria, if time could have stood still in that moment of love, it would have been good. Mm. It would have been My fun. My heart is full and the day hasn't even started really. <laughs> That's, That's beautiful, buddy. Heidi. That's my buddy. And I, I like to think that he sensed it. Oh. Maybe he, maybe he smelled it, right? <laughs> sense of smell, maybe my body chemistry shifted hundred percent out of fear and anger and uh, upset to love and delight to be with yeah. him. And, and he came, so that, that was amazing. And to give people the fuller context of that human being that you just showed the photo of, you know, despite, you know, the autism is a veil that Ethan is locked within. Mm. And, and so we, we see glimpses of, of his full being that we want to help him express. And there was one conversation that I wanted to share that, that it was my pivotal transformative moment. There were many, you know, teachings, but the moment that made me truly accept and released with, with joy was this conversation with him when Ethan was going to be leaving, we knew he would be going and we would no longer oh. have 
he was 11. Okay. Thank you. Important point. He was 11 years old when this conversation took place. Mm -hmm. And I knew that he would no longer have the access to the spelling to communicate. That, that's another story about that's not always available. And I wanted to get in more sessions with him as much as I could before he left. So I went in to work with him and his teacher. And I just said, Ethan, you know, I realized I never asked you what are your thoughts about God? Mm. And the conversation that took place, and I outlined it in the book, but the main highlights, his response to me, God is in my heart and he will always protect me. Mm. And I said, well, did, I was stunned. I, what? Well, did he tell you that? Yes, when I lived in heaven, he told me that. And he went on to say that he remembers that time. It was a time without bodies in heaven. There are no bodies, just spectacular energy that we were family before we didn't live here. We lived in a small group, but got hurt by warriors that he chose to come here with challenges. I said, well, why? I will be greatly rewarded in eternity. And when I said, He's telling you this. Yes, this is a back and forth. I'm, I'm summarizing for you. You know, does, is the journey taking it? Does it feel longer than you thought it would be? And he was 11. The journey is unfathomably longer than expected. And so when I said, well, what can we do to help you on the journey? His first response was, I have to fulfill my journey as prescribed by God. But as his mother, still with myth of the good mother running, I, I admit it, it doesn't fully go away. I had to ask him again, but what can we do to help you on the journey? And Ethan replied, you just have to love me. And that is your job. The rest is my job to do. Ugh. So Ethan has taken me and all of you, anyone in relationship with another human being, off the hook, we only have to love unconditionally, not change, not change. And when you think that you're going to change another person and you're barking up the wrong tree, mm. that loving is accepting unconditionally for who and what you are right now and you guide and you do your best but ultimately it's not your job to change another person mm -hmm. and coming from that place just to to love is to give to meet needs to be there whenever you need me no matter what no matter when i'm here for you to give to you and it works both ways and ethan has continued to love me and teach me on this journey. And that continues. And, and that is the message, the encouraging message out of the tragedy narrative, out of the myth of the good mother into purpose and, and what love really is. I just love that. It was so beautiful. This is now maybe the fourth time I've heard it. And every time I just get tingles. And I, and I think that that means something. That's really something, you know, it really touches um, my heart when I hear that. And I know that it touches others who hear that. 
um, just how profound his words are and just the, you know, the lessons that you learned from him about yourself and about how to love. And that's the opportunity in our kiddos is that they can teach us how to love. Um, well, and it's also, I hope, yes, other moms have said they felt, you know, goosebumps, all that. The, the reassuring thing, I, I hope that moms feel reassured by that because it's so simple. And I think, I know when Ethan said it, I think my first thought that I can, that let me breathe again, probably for the first time in 11 years was I can do that. Mm -hmm. All I have to do is love you. I don't know anything else. I don't know how to do anything else, but I can do that. Mm. I love that. Beautiful. Heidi, thank you. I, I can't thank you enough. Um, in addition to, you know, your book, which by the way, people can get on Amazon, right? Yes. Amazing. Um, and I encourage everybody who is um, going through whatever it is that you're going through with a family member with an invisible disability. I call it a difference in ability and life perspective. I don't think anything is a disability, but anybody that's going through um, an ambiguous loss or a seeming, you know, um, this the sense of, you know, a journey that is is dark. Know that people like Heidi exist, and um, I urge everyone to uh, go out and buy her book. And um, I, I really champion her. And also, Heidi, how can people reach you if they wanted to? Um, you can also uh, say it here, and I'll I'll type it into the chat so that people have it. Great. Well, certainly you, you can go to my website, Moms Spectrum Oasis, or you can email me directly at Heidi at M-S-O-N-J. Heidi, so sorry. Hold on. Reach you. I'm just going to type it in. Moms Spectrum. Say that again. The website is Moms Spectrum Oasis. Okay. And, um, and you can email me at Heidi at MSO from Mom Spectrum Places, msonj.com, or go to Call with Heidi and set up a time to, to speak with me. Amazing. Amazing. Um, thank you so much. And I look forward to incredible collaborations with you, um, transforming the narrative around what autism is and what it's not, um, what is possible in the parenthood journey and really championing um, thriving um, you know, through struggle because that's exactly what you have done and you're a beautiful example of it. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, Victoria, thank you so much for this golden opportunity to be with you. And what, what a match you, you are. Right? Yeah, Post-traumatic growth couldn't be better said. Thank you. Thank you so much. See everyone soon on our next episode. Bye, everybody.